to the Beaver train station and welcome to what is one installment in a festival of art appreciation put on for you by the Genesis Collective. We kicked off two weeks ago with an art crawl. Now the works are here and some others. So tonight we honor the artists. We honor the visionaries. We honor the people who see something different and the ones who are obedient to the call that we all have. The mandate that's on all of us as human beings to make, to create, to see things a little differently because we're individuals. We have a group of people, local people, Beaver County artists, actors, a director, producers, who have put together a preview of what will be a full-scale production in August, and it is entitled, Our Story, a play for Beaver County Voices. This is conceived of and written by, it's written about, and it's written for Beaver County residents. The actors you'll see, Beaver County residents. I want to thank all the people who came out for the art tonight, and I want to thank all of our sponsors for Art Madness. So the Genesis Collective has a threefold mission. We support artists in their work, we connect the public to art and creativity, and we support community development that's already underway through art and media. My name is Pamela, I'm the director of the Genesis Collective, but I don't work alone. There's a whole team that pulled this off and I thank them as well. Enjoy theater. Wealthiest country in the world. How many times have we heard that line? So there's no need for anyone to go hungry, right? Wrong. In my world, I see it all. Food deserts, empty pantries, children scrambling in suburb programs for that free lunch. Hungry people crowding food banks and soup kitchens for a decent meal. Wealthiest country in the world, Spend one hour with me and you might change your mind. A blanket, a cot, a cup of hot soup. It doesn't take much to comfort them. Sometimes I feel this, this visceral rush of emotion that, I, that I'm doing a good thing, that I'm meant to be here. You know, one of the helpers, the good guys. But mostly, I'm haunted by the image of them out on the streets, cold and dirty and scraping by, just holding on. Mostly, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by their stories, their plights. Doesn't everyone deserve a roof overhead, a carpet underfoot, a place called home to rest a weary head? From the time I was a young kid, I knew this was my calling helping girls stay safe, sheltering them from all the evil lurking on main streets, educating them. The only sure answer to keep them out of harm's way. Human trafficking is ugly, dangerous, horrific. Oh, I know lots of people out there think it's a big city thing. It can't happen here. But sadly, it is happening here. Every hour, every day, and it's very real. It was my freshman year. My friends and I were having a blast together. Coffee shops after school, homecoming, wandering around town, getting together at each other's houses, 
We were always together, as much as we could be. None of us could drive yet, but in March we began hearing about this virus. Overseas, surely, it wasn't going to reach us. It was crazy to think that this virus was going to be a problem here in our little town of Beaver, PA. But just when you thought it wouldn't be, bam, no school, but only for two weeks. I was sure we'd be back soon. My name is uh, Walter Montgomery, a vagabond reporter, but I like to think of myself as a story hunter. You see, the magazine I work for sends me to the small towns all across this country to talk with everyday folks like yourselves. What's your story anyway? It's your town. You live here. So what's making you tick? What matters to you? Now, of course, with my fancy cameras and lights, I roll into these little towns, most of which you have never even heard of, and chances are you probably don't care much either, I can assure you. <laughs> Who gives a damn where you're from? Uh, really, that's, that's up to you, I suppose. Now, if my crew and I happen to come into your town, we'll probably set up a little interview space somewhere between a little quiet piece of the town, maybe just something like this. Yeah, I guess this'll do. At least there's enough room to swing a cat. And I guess the acoustics are okay. At least there's a little watering hole somewhere down in Bridgewater. Did I hear? Is that right? I think some of you around here call them beer gardens. Maybe it's just down by the river. I don't know what it's called. Anyway, my producers back in New York do most of the legwork for me, tracking down people to be interviewed, a few phone calls, a few emails, and people show up, and they sit down in the bright lights of these amazing cameras, and we talk. Now, I don't know them, and they don't know me, and, well, hell, most of the time, we don't know what we're going to talk about. Not sure where the New York office finds these people, honestly. My last week, I recorded a convicted murderer, a prostitute, and a priest. <laughs> and that was just the first interview. Hey, uh, Harper, how's the sound and lighting in there? Are we all set for the first interview? Yep, I'm ready when you are. Great. My name's Tom. Am I in the right place? I'm here for an interview, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. Come on in, Tom. Yeah, you're in the right place. I'm Walter. Enjoy. Just right in front of the cameras there. I'm going to ask you a few questions, okay? About what? The guy on the phone who called me from New York said something about the food bank. You want, you want to know about the food bank? Well, that's right, Tom. The food bank. So what, do you serve, like, soup and bread there, like in the 50s, or what? You're kidding, right? <sighs> yeah, I, I'm kidding, but, um, do you? Actually, we're a food bank, not a soup kitchen, although there are plenty of those around. So, tell me about yourself, Tom. Well, I was a business executive managing a profitable investment firm, but, but when I retired a number of years ago, I decided I wanted to do something with my life instead of sitting around. 
playing golf, spending winters in Florida. Someone suggested that I volunteer my time in the community, so, so I came to the community food bank and asked if they needed any help. And as it turns out, I've been the on-again, off-again manager because it's hard to keep anyone in that position. Why is that, Tom? Oh, there's a million reasons. There's no pay and the hours are long. But to be honest, I think it's just tough to see so many people in need every day. It never ends. The need, that is. And it's been getting worse over the years. It's hard to watch so many people in need. But there's another side to it. A lot of our people in our community just aren't aware of how bad the hunger problem is. And now you manage the food bank. <laughs> yeah. As I said, I was an executive in the corporate world. So I guess I know a thing or two about how to run an organization. You know, it, it's funny. When I was a junior executive about 20 years ago, my company wanted to make a charitable donation to a local organization, and, and they chose the food bank here. I was given the job of showing up one Saturday morning with one of those big cardboard checks with our name and the amount of our donation in big, bold letters printed across the thing. It was a sizable donation, as I recall, but it was just a corporate write-off. I was there for the photo op, holding that big, ridiculous check and handing it off to the manager. That's how I first learned about the food bank. I never even knew it existed before that, just like a lot of people don't know about it. Hmm. You know, I'm curious about something, Tom. If you want a job in America, you could have a job. If you don't have a job, it's your own fault. Do you think that's true? I know where you're going with this. Uh, look, the unemployment rate is down, and the government says that we're moving towards full employment. Everyone and their friends and neighbors should be working right now and getting good-paying jobs with benefit. Well, here in Beaver County, you have the Shell Cracker Plant, and that's hired thousands of people. So why do we have a need for a food bank? Sure, the employment statistics tell us one thing, but, but the number of people with food insecurity is huge and growing. We're providing food for thousands of Beaver Countyans every week, so it's not a made-up problem. People can be employed at such low wages that they don't have enough money to pay their bills, to drive and, and maintain their car, and, and still buy enough food for their families. Hmm. So that's what you mean by food insecurity? So what does it say about our society, the greatest country in the world where people are food insecure? That's a good question, Walt. I've thought about this hard and long, I, I could probably give you a lot of different answers, but, but when I show up at the food bank every day, I, I just don't have the luxury of pondering over the macro and microeconomics of it all. And don't get me started on politics. There are a lot of people, a lot of people that need food. That's what I focus on. Sure, our numbers show how bad the situation is, especially if you consider all the other social services in the county that we give food to, the, the little community pantries, the, you know, the soup kitchens and church basements and homeless shelters. We've got a lot of real work to do every day, Walt. Our real struggle is getting enough donated food and getting enough volunteers to help sort and distribute the food. This is what I worry about. So... What do you want Beaver County to know about what you're doing at the food bank? First off, we don't qualify people. 
If somebody has a need, they can come to us. We're not going to turn anyone away based on how much money they make. It doesn't matter if your car broke down or your hot water tank exploded. We don't ask. If you need food, we're here for you, especially single mothers and the elderly. But you know what, Walt? Our fastest growing need is with young people between 18 and 25. Those kids most likely working minimum wage jobs with families to support and a lot of student loan debt. And a growing group of young people in need are in the military. Despite what many people think, it's hard to raise a family on a military paycheck. About 10 years ago, when I started volunteering at the food bank, we fed about 20 families a week. We're now over 300 families. And we're supplying food to a lot of local soup kitchens, shelters, and, and smaller food pantries. So the problem's not getting any better. Is, is everything okay? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I'm gonna have to cut this a little short. We have an unexpected delivery of donations coming in from a big regional grocery company, and their CEO wants me to be there when the truck arrives, you know, to make a big photo op out of it. Mm, that's how the game is played? <laughs> yeah, some of it anyway. But you asked me earlier about what I want the public to know about what we're doing at the food bank. So let me say this before I go. This is another one of those things I've thought about a lot. We're doing good works there. Now, I'm not a religious guy, but I believe in doing the right thing when called upon to do it. And, and what we're doing at the food bank is living out the golden rule. You know, you mentioned earlier that previous food bank managers have gotten burned out from that kind of work. So how are you holding up, Tom? What gets you through the day? Well, that's, that's certainly not a question I'm used to, Walt. Thanks for asking. To be honest, some days I don't hold up at all, on the inside at least. I try not to let the staff and volunteers see it. Maybe that's wrong, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's not good for my ulcer, I do know that. But when I go home at night, it's like I'm stepping into another world. My family lives comfortably. I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to eat donated food that nobody else wants to keep on their shelves. Canned beets, Walt. Who the hell wants to eat off-label canned beets product of Latvia? <laughs> but that's what we get sometimes at the food bank, and so we bundle up the canned beets, put on a smile, and hand them to the hungry families. They know, and we know, that passing on discarded stuff like that is, well, there's a certain indignity about it. Yeah, but it's food, right? Sure, it's food. But what do the kids say these days? WTF? <laughs> Nobody wants to be treated like they're a human dumpster. I feel guilty about it. Hey, Walt, well, look, I really have to get back to the food bank. I, I, hope, uh, I hope I answered your question for your, uh, what the hell is this for again? Look, wait, when you publish this, I'd like to put this in the newsletter, okay? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll stay in touch and let you know when we publish the story. Uh, hello there. Uh, you must be Charlotte from the homeless shelter? 
I'm Walter, but you can call me Walt if you want. Uh, just right in front of the cameras, if you please. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, okay? Uh, hello, I, I guess. Well, these lights are really bright. Am I on TV? Am I going to be famous? <laughs> can you sing or do magic? Nah, but, but I can play the blues harmonica. It's something I picked up in jail. <laughs> Are you kidding? No. Haven't you ever met anyone who's been in jail before? Or, or plays a harmonica? Never mind, don't answer that. Uh, anyway, I, I got a call from your producer in New York. I, I guess that's who it was. And, and she said that you're here to talk to people in Beaver County. So uh, why do you want to talk to me? Didn't anyone mention that to you? What good are those guys in New York? I mean, honestly. Well, Charlotte, I've been traveling around the country talking with folks in small town America about some of the issues that people are facing in their everyday lives. We heard that you manage a local homeless shelter, and we wanted to learn what that's like. What it's like running a homeless shelter or being homeless in Beaver County? I can speak to both situations. So you've been homeless, too? Sure. Technically. I mean, I've never slept under a bridge, if that's what you're thinking, but I spent a few years with no place to live after my marriage fell apart. My ex-husband kicked me out of our apartment and the bottom just dropped out of everything. No place to live, no car to drive, no money, no job, no nothing. And just like that, you found yourself homeless. To make it sound like Forrest Gump or something. But yeah, I mean, it's fairly common that way, you know, for, for lots of reasons. Suddenly you, you find yourself out of a job with no place to live, no money except for what's in your pocket. It might take days, a few weeks, a month or so. What's the difference? It's a fast downward slide for the most of us. Hmm. Uh, you say us. I guess so. It's... It's been about 10 years since I was homeless, but there's not a day goes by that I don't think about or interact with people who are homeless. It's part of my job managing the shelter, of course, but there's something of a, of a bond among people who've had to live on the streets. Can you understand? Not at all. Uh, but I thought you said you didn't live on the streets. <sighs> That's just the expression. Fact is, at least here in Beaver County, most homeless people aren't living on the streets. Uh, they might be couch surfing or temporarily staying in someone's spare bedroom. If they're lucky, they might be living in a finished basement or a small apartment above a garage. The key word is temporarily. When I became homeless, I, I stayed with a lot of family and friends. For a long time, it seemed like, like a revolving door to nowhere. Nobody knew I was homeless. Not from the outside looking in, anyway. So you had a warm place to stay and food to eat. Look, that's true, but that didn't make it easy. Staying with people gets really old really fast. Living out of suitcases and a couple of cardboard boxes. There is never any privacy, and, and you're always at the mercy of someone else who eventually will have to tell you that it's time for you to leave. It was always a matter of time before someone gave you that that soft eviction notice. It's like, oh, Charlotte, 
we love having you here and all, but money's tight right now, and uh, do you think you can find another place to stay for a while? Wow, rejection. It is. No one wants to be unwanted, but I get it. Sometimes homeless people can help out a little where they're staying, but, but a lot of times it's, it's just not enough. That's when we become a burden. That's, that's usually the toughest situation for homeless people, having to figure out the next move. Do I call grandma again? What about my cousins and friends? Again? You go through a checklist, and, and at the top are the ones you love the most, and at the bottom is the social worker at the homeless shelter, or, or worse. And when you strike out, and there's no place to go. Is that what you mean by worse? Yeah, living on the streets. Hopefully someone shows up at the homeless shelter and, and I'll check them in for the night. In some cases, we might be able to get a hotel room for a family, if we have enough funds, that is. But we are not a big city shelter, so we don't have to deal with a lot of issues like crime and drugs, but <laughs> this isn't the Hilton either. Desperate people do desperate things. You know, People get punched in the face over a pair of socks. Wow. So um, my notes here tell me that you're a licensed social worker. You went from being homeless to getting a college degree. That's right. After graduating from the community college, I went to the University of Pittsburgh. My college dorm room was the first really stable place I lived in a very long time. It took five years, but, but I landed someplace that I could call my home. Sounds strange, I know, but, but that's how I felt being able to be on my own independently. But let me say this, Walter, I, I mean Walt. My story isn't unusual, not on the downside or the upside. There are millions of Americans living paycheck to paycheck or, or maybe living in domestic violence situations, dealing with mental illness, or, or just so close to the edge of survival that they could very easily find themselves homeless in a flash. On the other hand, most homelessness is temporary. Of course, that doesn't do a damn thing to lessen the pain of being homeless, but, but it does give us hope that with the right support, we can help people rise above their situation. So is that what you do at the homeless shelter? Provide that support even for a night or two? Yeah, and, and we provide the hope too, one night at a time. Having a place to stay is a is a foundation for so many other things in life. Shelter, stability, safety, privacy. Our ultimate goal is, is to get people into their own place, maybe, maybe a little apartment or, or a shared living space. So are you very successful? <sighs> I wish I could tell you that we were, but we help a lot of people, but not enough. It's, it's what keeps me up at night. So how are you holding up personally? What keeps you going? To be honest with you, Walter, I don't think of myself too often. I have thrown myself into work, and I, 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 know, I know it's not healthy, but I've been on the other side of this issue. It's, it's, it's devastating for everyone. My staff and I have started to do more direct outreach into the community, so we're searching for homeless people wherever we can find them, living in abandoned cars or dilapidated homes under railroad bridges, in small tent encampments down by the rivers. We tell them about our services and we, we invite them to the shelter, but, 
But most of all, we let them know they're not invisible to us. We see them. We care. You know, I, I've often heard street people say that they feel invisible uh, to the people around them. <sighs> well, that's true. Well, I can tell you that from experience. It's, it's easy to look just right through homeless people as if they're made of glass, <sighs> like they're not even there. They don't, they don't even matter enough to say hello to, just invisible. Well, they're not invisible to people who don't want them hanging around in front of their stores or panhandling or sleeping in the park benches. Oh, yeah. Well, people see homelessness on Main Street and they react. And nobody wants that. I hear it all the time. Look, look at all these bums. They, they make our town look bad. But like I said earlier, we, we actually don't see most of the homelessness in this county. That's the other side of being invisible. Just out of sight, out of mind. So what's the answer, Charlotte? There's not one answer, Walt. No, no magic solution. No one's going to wave a magic wand and just suddenly make homelessness disappear. But, but I tell you this, I, I, think, I think it all starts with recognizing the problem. You can help me do that when you publish this interview. Right, Walt? Hello? Anyone here? It's two o'clock, sharp. Oh, uh, sorry about that. Uh, we were just grabbing a little bite to eat. Uh, you must be Maggie Kowalski. 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 Yes. You're a reporter from the magazine in New York. What's your name? I, I have to warn you. I might have to cut this short. I'm expecting a call about a new arrival at the woman's shelter. Oh, uh, okay. I, I guess that's the way I'll, 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 I'll go then. Yeah. And what's your name again? My name's Walter. And your last name? <clears throat> it's Montgomery. Is that spelled the usual way or with an E in the middle? That's not too common with an E, but I've seen it a few times over the years. Yes, yes, uh, there's an E in the middle. Uh, most people don't notice a detail like that or even care. Well, I'm a former detective. Observing things out of the ordinary is in the blood. Did you hear me when I said I might have to leave if I get a call from the woman's shelter? Did you copy that? Uh, yes, 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 I did. Roger that. Um. <laughs> it's now 2.07. We should get this started. When your producer, Stacy Smith, called me on Tuesday, she told me that a reporter would be in town at the hotel doing interviews with people from the county. You're the reporter, I assume. Yes, I'm Walter Montgomery, the reporter. Okay, Walter Montgomery. I'm Maggie Kowalski and I run a local organization that educates communities about the dangers of human trafficking. Did your producers give you a briefing on me? If not, you might have to have a word with them. Yes, I think I'll have to do that anyway. Uh, Maggie, <clears throat> I was uh, driving around the county yesterday, and most of the towns seem like nice, uh, quiet places to live. A, a little run down, most of them, uh, but um, still decent communities. It doesn't look like a place where human trafficking exists. And by that, uh, what are we talking about? Uh, girls being forced into prostitution? Prostitution is probably the biggest issue. We call it sex trafficking. But it also involves forced labor. It's hard for us to believe this goes on in the world today, but 
there are about 27 million modern day slaves across the world and about half involve children working in factories, the food industry, farming, and it happens here in Beaver County. So why Beaver County? Here traffickers have easy access to major highways, plenty of hotels, drugs are easy enough to get, and we have a lot of major construction projects that bring a lot of male workers here. We've had about a dozen hotels built to go along with the shellcracker plant, put all these conditions together and that makes our community vulnerable to traffickers. In fact, we recently had about 16 people arrested in what's called a hotel sweep, all in connection with drugs and human trafficking. But were you involved in that? I'd like to think that we had some part of it. You see, my organization is dedicated to preventing and stopping human trafficking here in Beaver County by educating nonprofits and social service agencies, law enforcement departments, churches, schools, civic groups, and the hotel industry. Lesson number one, Human trafficking is here. It's probably in your town. The second thing we do is teach people what it looks like and how to spot the signs. And the third thing is... Uh, see something, say something? Yes, you're right about that. Which is probably the biggest obstacle we face because... Uh, let me guess. People don't want to get involved. Mostly. Believe me, as a cop, I tell you we live in a very sick world. Yet too many people don't have the slightest clue about the real world they're living in. They don't see the underbelly, and they don't want to. Nobody wants to get dragged into something that's illegal, ugly, and dangerous. Can you imagine having to testify as a witness against these bastards? So it's a lot easier just to look the other way. Well... In this business, we don't have the luxury of looking the other way when the police deliver a couple of young trafficked girls to the women's shelter. Just teenagers, Walter, some younger, strung out, disoriented. Some of them couldn't tell you what town they're in. Hell, some of them can't remember their own hometown. Or maybe they just like to forget. Believe me, I've spent many long nights at the shelter holding on to kids too scared to cry themselves to sleep. So I do it for them. They need to know we care. We're not looking the other way. So what's the answer? Um, is that the call you've been waiting for? It is. I'm sorry, but I have to run. But let me say this, Walter. Awareness is the answer. Education is the answer. It sounds overly simple, but traffickers go to great lengths to conceal their crimes. If we know how to spot the signs of trafficking, and if we can identify the victims, then we can report what we see to law enforcement to do its job. It does sound overly simple. Yes, it's simple. But that's the problem we face. The reluctance of most people to report what they see. Communities don't want to admit openly they have a human trafficking problem. It's not a good look, see? It's bad for business. It's bad for schools. It's bad for attracting new investments. What town wants to damage its reputation by talking about its human trafficking problem? So they stop your efforts? I wouldn't say that. It's more like they passively resist. I'll give you an example. Last week, I was invited to guest on a local radio program. 
And at the last minute, I got a call from the radio host who, quite apologetically, said that he had to cancel my appearance. He said, you don't want to know why. But I knew the order came from management. When I pressed him, he said that his boss thought it would make the town look bad. It was negative. It sent the wrong message. I end your reaction? Well, you're getting it right now. See something, say something. So, uh, did you and your friends talk about COVID before the pandemic arrived? Before the lockdown, we were talking about it in school. So I was aware, uh, kind of, of what was happening. But I didn't think it would hit us like it did. I mean, this was something happening really far away. But the news was covering it more and more. So yeah, me and my friends were talking about it. But that word lockdown, that was a word used for really terrible events like school shootings, you know, lockdown drills. But for something like a virus, what did a lockdown even look like for COVID? And then when my biology teacher taught us about how viruses spread, I remember thinking, crap, my hands are on my face. Put your hands down. Don't touch your face. I had to remind myself, gross. Then everything was about washing my hands. How long? How long should I wash my hands for? Wash your hands like a surgeon, they said. So did you, did you time it singing happy birthday twice? Oh yeah. My mom's a nurse and even she didn't know a lot about how viruses spread. So at first we would wipe everything down after shopping. And for a while, she wouldn't even let us bring the groceries in the house because they shouldn't touch other things. Locking down seemed outside of our reality. And then it happened. And honestly, it didn't even feel real. It felt like a sci-fi movie. Now, this was March, right? Yeah, we were almost done with the third quarter of school. Can I be totally honest? I didn't care. I was excited to have a week off, and I'd figured we'd be back for the fourth quarter. But this is when everything shifted online and teachers were scrambling. It was, and this sounds weird to say, a little exciting that this was happening. Something different. Can I say that? Uh, sure. Uh, this is your story. Uh, so that was lockdown. Uh, talk about online school. Teachers were lenient. Life felt less chaotic. I got more sleep. But I also remember thinking, we can't keep doing this. The schoolwork was too easy. We're gonna have to go back to school again. And then we never did. I finished freshman year at home, and in the middle of this, I know you wanna talk about the pandemic, but can I talk about George Floyd? Because that was a pandemic within a pandemic. Yeah, go for it. Before George Floyd was murdered, I was kind of interested in politics and activism, but I've never been to a protest march. 
I've heard the phrase Black Lives Matter, but I didn't really know that much about it. His murder shocked me. That video, we all saw that video. When his murder got so much publicity, I started looking more into racism, police brutality, white privilege. I understand so much more about it now, but I'll never truly understand what it feels like to live that fear. I went to a few marches with friends. We were all learning about systemic racism and how to be better, kinder humans. I was surprised by how many people showed, all ages, colors, chanting through their masks. This was just the beginning, I thought. Okay, thanks for letting me get that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, people really came together. And what was happening in school through all of this? Sophomore year was harder. Teachers began buckling down. But there was students whose heads just weren't there. Some gave up, just didn't care. Being online every day, it was exhausting. People who once had amazing grades just tanked. Some felt like their personalities just disappeared. My friends and I kept a group chat going. We were baking all hours of the day and night. Everyone was dealing however they could, but texting with them just wasn't the same. And there were so many people I just stopped talking to because I didn't see them. I'm not sure this will make sense, but while my personal world got smaller, the world got bigger. I was seeing racial injustice, politics, adults fighting over masks, mistrust of doctors. COVID became so political, it was crazy. Like, why can't we just be decent to one another? I have an Asian friend who was scared after hearing of restaurants being broken into and vandalized, and all those kung flu references. People blaming Asians for the virus, it was so wrong. There was so much bad stuff coming at us so fast, and honestly, still is. Well, I can tell you, you've given this a lot of thought. Before the pandemic, I just, I took a lot of things for granted because I would go to school and I'd be like, well, this sucks. Like, some days I wake up, I'm like, Ugh. But then once I'm at school, I enjoy being there. You don't always have to have a positive outlook on life, but like, I think I've adopted more of one. There were a lot of times before the pandemic where if I was in a bad mood, I would take it out on my friends and they just didn't deserve it. I try not to do that anymore because I didn't get to see them for that long, but... But what? The pandemic showed us how divided our country is. And you would think during a time like this, we could have just like gotten together and been more kind to one another, to the people we share a world with. That was so disheartening. But on the other hand, the pandemic forced us to not take things for granted. Like we only have one life. We're all in this together. So why not be kinder to each other? Friends, 
The stories that you just witnessed are all based on actual conversations we've recorded right here in Beaver County. They're among us. They're your neighbors, they're your friends. There really are people working with the homeless, volunteers at food banks and soup kitchens, advocates working hard to end human trafficking, and there's an entire generation of youngsters whose lives were turned upside down from the pandemic. Their stories are our stories. Thank you.